Good evening. It is good to be together to worship God. What a wonderful, wonderful period of worship uh, that we've already had. You know, this weekend has been a great weekend in the life of our congregation. We've had a wonderful leadership retreat with our elders and our deacons and our ministers. Aubrey Johnson spoke to us, the fellow that uh, wrote The Barnabas Factor, and Dr. Johnson did a tremendous job challenging us uh, to be the leaders uh, to you that God would require us to be. And that's all that we want to be, but that's everything that we want to be. And uh, let's be mindful to be praying for each other and to pray that all of us will step into the roles and the responsibilities that God gives us to fulfill His will, not only in our lives individually, but in the life of a congregation. Uh, we're blessed with men and their families that sacrifice and give uh, tremendously for the work of this church. And, and we're thankful uh, that we have those kind of, of individuals and families uh, that are willing to do and to make such sacrifices. And you know, as I was thinking about that this afternoon, I was walking through the education department. And as I was walking through, I went by door after door after door that you could hear young voices with our young soldiers and our young ladies serving Christ. I heard one room where they were practicing their song leading. And I don't know what else was happening in all those other rooms, but we want you young people to know that we love and appreciate you. And we know that you have a vital place in the Lord's church today. And we realize that you're fulfilling that. And we're so thankful for you. And then, to see the great encouragement as we then walk into the auditorium and we see the stage full of, of stage packers. And, and we see those little packers and, and they're doing their role. They're fulfilling their place. Uh, what they do is such an encouragement to us. And it's, it's awesome to think of God's plan and, and the way God has a place for us in every stage of life. And, and just to see that and, and to be blessed by that and, and to, aware, to be aware of that and thankful for that. And so let's, let's stop and, and count our blessings and then let's look for the opportunities that God gives us tomorrow. Because we don't want to be ABC members. We don't want to be an ABC congregation we want to truly be disciples. We want to be a church, a congregation that grows disciples. This morning, we began looking at one of the six questions of discipleship that we'll ask over the next few lessons. The first one this morning was, who is your Lord? You have a captain, a captain of your ship. If you will just allow him to be your Lord, if you will allow him uh, to lead and direct your life, if you will join forces with him and say, I realize I'm not a selfish, stingy guest upon this earth. I realize that I'm a child of yours. I'm a son or a daughter of yours created in your image. And I want to serve you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And then tonight, second, we'll ask another question. Who are you? If you understand who your Lord is, that begins to really unveil and open up clearly a picture of who we are to be. Let's face it. Right now, at this moment, all of us, we're somebody. But are we the somebody that God designed for us to be? 
I'd like to give you a little breaking news, and I'd like your encouragement and support in this, if, if that's all right with you. And if you don't give it, I can probably live without it, but I'd like it. I've been thinking about kind of the next 12 months and all, and I'm thinking about trying to become a walk-on Tennessee Titans team. I really, I think that would be really neat. I, I like their jerseys. Uh, I like the way it's so close by. I mean, it'd be crazy for me to say I want to be a walk-on for the Colts. I mean, this is really convenient. And, and you know, and I think back to a few decades ago, I really, really enjoyed football. And, you know, I wasn't maybe the fastest guy in the universe, but I had a little bit of speed at one time. And, and I think, you know, I might, I might could really work myself into maybe a cornerback or a safety or maybe a receiver. And, and I'd like for you to just join in encouraging me and, and say, hey, you can do that. Maybe if any of you know Fisher, you could put a call in for me. And if he's still there. And now, by this time, if you thought I was serious, you're also thinking he's off his rocker. He's way too old. He's way too slow. He's not nearly strong enough. And probably doesn't have the skill set that it would take to be a professional, to play at that level. And so then, what you're painting in your mind, whether you've really thought of it this way, is you're saying, Dave, if you're going to be a titan, you're probably going to have to go back and be born again. You're probably going to have to come back as somebody with a little bit different build, a little bit different skill. You're going to have to have a little bit different DNA in you. You're going to have to be younger. In other words, I'm going to have to become an entirely different person. Because you know and I know there's nothing I can do right now to make that happen. Nothing. It's literally impossible. The odds are much better for me to go to the moon than to be a Titan. Now let's talk about me and you both. What about being a disciple? What's your odds of being a disciple? You see, if you look at your old person, we're back kind of that same position. It's not very good odds. Disciples are sanctified people. They've been set apart. Disciples have a very specific purpose and they know that purpose and they live that purpose. Disciples have a Lord, and they follow that Lord and submit to that Lord in everything. And, and we can think back to the days before we were a Christian, and, and those things simply weren't true. And, and then you say, well, well, maybe I can just work my way into it. Maybe if I go to the spiritual gym enough, I can, I can just work my way to so that I can just become a disciple. And the truth is, none of us can become a disciple on our own. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, Paul reveals to us, and I want to keep in your mind Paul, because that's the one we studied this morning, who helped us see about he was a man that learned that Jesus Christ was Lord. And once he learned that, he followed that up by saying, what do you want me to do? He immediately, at that point in Acts 9, became a disciple of Jesus in the sense that he wanted to follow Jesus, but he still didn't know exactly what he needed to do, and so he went to Damascus as the Lord told him to do and he waited and Ananias came and told him the rest of what he needed to know. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. 
And so this man writes about this transition in his life, this transformation in his life. And notice how he describes it in the fifth chapter, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Maybe there's someone here tonight that's not a disciple of Jesus. We're glad you're here. And maybe as you think about the Christian life and being a disciple, it may come to your mind the thought of, you know, it sounds good, but you just don't know me. I could never do that. I could never achieve that. You don't know my past or you don't know my struggles or you don't know where I am today. And friends, the point I'm trying to make for all of us here tonight is that without Jesus, none of us could become that new creation. Jesus looked at Nicodemus and he says, unless a man is born again, he cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. We literally have to accept the fact, I'm not going to make it. There's no way unless there is a rebirth, another birth, unless spiritually I become a new creation. That's why in Galatians, the second chapter, this same man speaking about this very same transaction in his life. He says it this way of Galatians 2 and 20. As we read this, I want you to think about crucifying or crucifixion is, is putting to death. And then, of course, that's life that he's talking about is this new life, this birth that came after that death. And so notice what he says in Galatians 2 and 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. Now pause there for a moment. Paul, tell us about this, this. We know you, Paul, as, as, as a great preacher and missionary and writer and, and great success. And Paul, have you always been that way? You know from this morning he hasn't always been that way. Hey, Paul, who were you? I was a persecutor of Christians. I came to the Lord with bloodstained hands, with the blood of Christians on my hands. I came and wanted to be a part of the Lord's church. And I had just tried and gave my dead level best to destroy congregation after congregation after congregation. Oh, how can you say now that, that you're this, this preacher, this proclaimer of the gospel? And he would say, because there was a time in my life where I was crucified. Just as Christ was put to death, that old man was put to death. And the Lord allowed me to be born again when, when we're baptized into the waters. We saw daily baptized this morning. We take that old creature that is dead in sin, dead, spiritually dead. What do we do with the dead? We bury the dead. And when she arose from that water, spiritually she was resurrected. God raised her from the dead and she is alive spiritually. And so Paul talks about that time where he came to the Lord as, as one who had persecuted and bloodstained hands. And he says, I was crucified. And that old man was put to death. And the Lord resurrected and gave life. And so he says, now it's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's how I became a disciple. Friends, there's no one here on your own power. There's no one here on your own goodness. 
There's no one here because you just happen to have the right heritage. There's no one here just because you've always been honest at, at your workplace and good to your neighbors that, that you've, you've earned the right to be a disciple. Listen, disciples are individuals that couldn't have gotten that way on their own. Disciples are individuals that the only way they are disciples is because of this morning's question. Who is your Lord? And when we understand who our Lord is, then we can start to get a picture of the opportunity that's offered to us. I have the invitation to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why in Matthew 28 that we read this morning, that great commission, go and make disciples. There's nothing more important. There's no project that you have at school. There's, there's no challenge that you have at work. There's nothing going on in your family that is more important than us being made under construction, made into disciples. Tonight, I'd like for you to look at three things with me that we learn about disciples from the Scriptures. The first is we see that discipleship is, has to be the priority. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Luke, and let's go to the 14th chapter. Luke, the 14th chapter. If we're going to be made a disciple, it has to be serious business. It has to be the highest priority in our life. Most of us know and love Luke, the 15th chapter, very well. 14th chapter is an introduction. It's all in the same. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, and the Greek there literally means love less. If we do not study through the scriptures and show how if we want we only nurture and strengthen our family when we love God first you want to give a gift to your family love God first and foremost you want to be the best neighbor that you can be love God more than you love anybody you want to be the greatest blessing to mankind in general, to a specific individual, to any group of people. Love God first and foremost. But then second, it even comes down to a prioritizing of our will. Look at the very next verse, 27. Whoever does not 
bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Bearing the cross doesn't mean that we take some kind of ailment, some kind of, of, of uh, struggle that somebody else has in our, in our family, in our life that we're constantly having to serve, where we've heard individuals on our, all throughout our life, we've heard individuals say, well, that's my cross that I have to bear. No doubt those things are a burden. We're not minimizing that. I'm simply saying to you, that's not what this verse is talking about. When he says that we have to bear our cross, he is literally talking about Again, crucifixion is death. Are we going to be willing to give up, get up every day and say, Today, I crucify my self-will for God's will to be done in my life. When I live throughout this day, I want God's will to be done. If I cannot do that, Jesus says I cannot be His disciple. Now the next several verses, He gives two illustrations. For a tower is built... Before it's even begun, one ought to sit down and count the cost to see do they have what it takes to finish it. Before a king goes into battle, if he only has 10,000 men, he might want to send spies ahead to count and see how many the enemy has. Because if they have 20,000, Jesus recommends that you would send a delegation and try to create peace with them instead of going into a battle that there's no way that it would succeed. Do you hear what Jesus is doing here? He's not saying, hey, this discipleship, it's really cool and it's really easy. Come on! Jesus doesn't put something in fine print at the bottom. He puts it large print right there in the middle. And he says, you know what? Discipleship's pretty big. It's pretty tough. It requires a lot of sacrifice. You might want to think about this whole picture before you say, sign me up. Don't start something that you're not going to finish. Don't start something that you're not serious about because the enemy is simply going to take you back over. And so after he gives that illustration, he then says this in 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Somebody says, forsake what? You see, it doesn't matter what. You forsake all that you have. In other words, we have to love the Lord more than anything in our life. It doesn't matter if it's possessions. It doesn't matter if it's past successes. It doesn't matter what it is. We have to love the Lord more than those things. He's not saying those things are necessarily bad. He's just simply saying there's a priority here. You love Him more than any other relationship. You love His will to be done more than your will. And you love Him more than any possession in your life. And if we can't do that all three times, He simply says, you cannot be my disciple. But also discipleship, about being genuine. You know, God knows our hearts. God knows whether or not we're serious. God knows when we say we're committed whether or not we mean it. And God knows our day-to-day life to see if we truly are living it or if we're trying to fake it, if we're lukewarm, if we're casual about it. In Luke, the sixth chapter, we have the teaching in verse 46. It's back on page 911. The Bible is in your pew. Look, if you will, Luke 6, chapter 46. But why, this is Jesus speaking again, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? The obvious is powerful, isn't it? Why are you saying I'm Lord? Remember this morning we talked about Lord implies that you're going to be submissive to the one who is Lord. 
He says, why are you saying and calling me that name that you'll be submissive? And then I say, okay, I will tell you what my will is. And then you don't go out and do it. It's almost like Jesus saying, are you trying to play games with me? But then he really takes it a step further. You see, in their culture, to say someone's name twice had great significance. Let me give you an example. And I think as I give you the example, we won't have to talk about it much more because it kind of proves its own point. Remember when God asked Abraham to offer his son upon the altar? And as his knife was raised above Isaac, the message of God was Abraham, Abraham. You remember when the bush was burning but not being consumed? And as Moses approached it, the voice of God said, Moses, Moses. You remember when God was calling Samuel and he kept waking up and not understanding who was talking to him? And it was God saying, Samuel, Samuel. You remember when Jesus was dying on the cross? My God, my God. Do you remember when he was calling Saul to get his attention through that blinding light? Saul, Saul. You see, in in the old Hebrew culture, the idea was that if you said someone's name twice, there was a significance of seriousness to it. There was a type of intimacy in it that, that you just didn't go up to a stranger and get their name and then just say their name twice. It was almost like saying, you know how close we are. I have something very significant that I want to share with you. And so think about that, that, that culture. And then think about Jesus calling them out in hypocrisy when he says, you say to me, Lord, Lord. And then I ask you to do. And you disobey. And then he explains it like an individual that would listen to what God says as one who would go out to build a house and dig deep to get his foundation sure. And then when the storms came, his, his house stood. But the one who would hear God but not obey God was like the one who wouldn't even take the time to, to dig a foundation but would build his house right on top of the ground And when the storm came, there was no foundation to sustain it, and great was the fall. Jesus is telling us here, do you want to be my disciple? If you're not going to obey what I've asked you to do, you will not sustain a spiritual life. You will not be my disciple. And that takes us to the third point. Discipleship is about endurance. It's about the long haul. It's not a sprint. Look, if you will, to John, the sixth chapter. And I'd like to, for us to read as we move this toward a close of some very sad verses here. In John, the sixth chapter, Jesus talks about some of his disciples. In John 6 and 60, this is the paragraph that has just been followed. The previous paragraph had been Jesus talking to individuals about if they're truly committed They're going to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Let's put it in Mount Juliet, 2011 terms. Jesus was saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to be totally immersed into me. It's got to be real. It's got to be daily. 
It's got to translate and transfer into everything that you are. Now keep in mind, these are individuals that had been disciples. And now that they hear this, they're starting to pull back a little bit. That seems to be asking a little bit much. The truth is, Jesus pegged it when he said, look at verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus asked them in 61, does it offend you? He didn't back down to say, I tell you what, I I do almost anything to to, to, uh, keep people uh, being my disciple. I will sacrifice my spiritual integrity. I will change the the very nature of who I am. Instead of being truth, I'll start being some truth and some lies. So we can soften things up here. We can water things down. Will you stay with me then? Will you be my disciple then? No. Think how foolish that is. God's not going to change His nature because that would only hurt Him and us. And so as these individuals thought that His teachings were hard, notice 66. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. And Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Where else could we go? Sure, some of his words are going to be hard. They're going to be challenging. He's going to ask us to do things that are right and best for us. And you know what? When we go through our life living by our eyesight instead of our spiritual faith, there are going to be things that look so good. There are going to be things that that in our understanding, there's just no reason why we shouldn't do them. And so then the question is going to be, are we going to listen to our human reasoning or are we going to say, Lord, I know what your will is and even though it's hard, I'm going to stay with you. Or during that time, are we going to say, Lord, I know what your will is, but I know what I want to do. Now keep in mind, this is, when, this is when things seem hard. It's not an intellectual hard. Wow, I studied and studied and I just can't figure out. It's not the intellectual hard. It's hard because our flesh is telling us, I really want to do this. And the Lord is saying, I really want to keep you safe. I really want to keep you close to me. I want to spend an eternity with you. Please don't go. Please do not leave me. And sometimes disciples, they look left and they look right. And then finally their conclusion is, Jesus' way is too hard. I want to turn my back on the Lord. In other words, I'm going to stop being a disciple. Friends, the time that doing the right thing seems like the hard thing is literally the time our discipleship is being tested. It's not, a, it's not a small thing. It's not an insignificant thing. It's a crucial time in our spiritual life when righteousness begins to look hard. And if you're there and if you've experienced it, 
You're not the first one. Any Christian that has endured over time has gone through those times. The endurance is saying, Thy will be done, not mine. So where do we turn? You know, several years ago when Madonna was on concert in London, you know, throughout her forever career, she has had times where she has spoken openly about her spirituality. And what many of us might be surprised is that sometimes she even begins her concerts before the concert with getting all of the stagehands and the performers together and having a prayer. And so when she was in London, an editor of the Times, the Daily Times, wanted to interview her about what would Madonna pray for in a gathering before the concert. And I want to read this to you, not to make fun of her. I want to read this, and the whole time I'm reading this, I want you to be thinking about this. It all goes back to Peter's answer. Lord, if we leave you, to whom are we going to go? Let this sink in. Lord, your sayings are hard. I'm going to leave you. Okay, if I'm leaving Jesus, who's going to become my God? Well, it gets confusing like this. Andrew Neal begins, When you gathered your people together to pray before going on stage, who were you praying to? Who I was praying to? She repeats the question, stalling for time. Um, I was praying to everyone in the room and to my idea of God. He asked, is there a God? Oh, yes, she replied quickly. I mean, there's my God and everyone has their own God. Tell me about Him, Andrew asked. Well, I can't describe it. Well, you have a good idea, though, don't you? Yes, the voice was strained and quiet. To me, sometimes, I don't know if it's a being or more like the high state of my consciousness, like trying to rise above everyday life or the things that bring you down or mortality and things like that. It's, it's like calling on any power I have inside of me. It's, it's, a, it's a protector. It's an advisor. It's soothing and comforting and, and it's non-judgmental. So Andrew continues, but is it a supreme being? I don't know. You know, I, I really have unformed ideas about it because I could change my mind in about half an hour. I think religion should be a very personal thing. It's, it's what you get your strength from. He asked, so it's inner matter rather than organized religion to you? Yeah, I think. And by this time, she was whispering. If you leave the Lord... Where are you going? The Lord seemed a little bit too tough on you lately. 
Is it because he was unfair? Or because you were taking steps away from him? And if you're taking steps away from him, I beg you to give yourself a serious time of meditation and prayer and answer the question, where am I going? If I'm taking steps away from my Lord, where am I going? Discipleship. It's day-to-day living. Knowing who our Lord is. And knowing that we are His under His directive and His care. We only got there because of Him. We couldn't do it on our own. We had to be born again. And we sustain our being there, not on our own, but by His grace and His mercy and His love. Tonight, we're not asking anybody to do something on your own. We're asking you tonight, have you joined forces with your Lord? Are you walking through life empowered by Him? And if not, why not begin that journey tonight? Be baptized into Christ tonight. If you began that journey and along the way, there's been a lot of distance between you and the Lord. Why is it getting harder? And where are you going? Friends, I promise you this with all of my being. You don't want to wait to the day of judgment to figure that one out. Today is the day of salvation. Tonight, if we can help you in any way move closer to God, please let us know. Come as we stand, as we sing.